Hello, this is Daniel Mounter with the podcast Englishman in Montreal. In my previous cast, I discussed a few of my creative mentors and the people who've been inspirational, especially in my creative life. When I was reminiscing and recalled my late friend Graham George, it led me down a long train of thought about one specific creative outlet that I have, which is modeling. And before any metaphorical eyebrows are raised, I'm referring to model making, that is creating models of actual and fictitious places, dioramas, and especially trains. It has nothing to do with fashion or being an influencer or having an Instagram account even. Before I want to get too deep into this subject, um, I need to just point out that I see there's two types of modeling and I define them as constructive modeling, which is using preformed materials. Um, typical example would be Lego or going back a bit further, Meccano, preformed building blocks, um, constructor kits, that kind of thing. And I think separately, there's a category which I call creative, um, which can be upcycling materials from another purpose, or uh, using timber, using waste, using recycled objects, and raw materials as well, provided specifically for modeling. Those two are connected, but I like to, to separate the two because um, for me, <clears throat> my creative journey, I've swayed towards the creative a lot more, having found that the constructive side is much more demanding of my energy. <clears throat> also, it's quite closely representative of authority, and rules and instructions, whereas the true creativity of me is expressed more by turning a raw material into something completely new. So I'll discuss first of all some of the ways I'm introduced to model making as a hobby and as a way of creative expression. And then if there's time I will dip a little bit into my thoughts on the psychology around modeling there's some common misconceptions slash stereotypes around this kind of hobby which I've had to face in the past but that's changed recently. So my introduction chronologically to modeling was on the constructive side. At the time I obviously had very little experience with raw materials unless you consider playing with your food to be a uh, creative hobby. I had a extensive set of wooden blocks that were preformed, cylinders, rectangles, that kind of thing. And I used my imagination largely to turn these into trains. I would make long trains which were very frustrating as they didn't stay together. You couldn't move them. They wouldn't stay attached. Now the trains 
took on shape in my mind and I was using preformed constructors articles so it kind of combined the two sides of creativity for me there. My father stepped in a lot to help me understand rule-based creativity. I, he taught me the, the basic crafts. As an example, uh, I had quite a lot of inherited Lego. We couldn't afford it when I was a young child, but we had considerable collection of used, very well used, I should say, pieces of Lego. My father showed me some simple techniques when I was pretty young, uh, five or six, I think, such as bonding bricks. In other words, you don't just stack the bricks up in a straight stack. You have to interlock them, having the rows overlap, and it gives much more strength to the structure. So he helped me a lot with rule-based and physics-based creativity. Um, one of my earliest memories of creative modeling would have been playing in the garden with a hose and as my father was an agricultural engineer specializing in irrigation and drainage systems it wasn't long before I learned to love to build dams, lakes, mini rivers, um, even geological features using the using the garden hose, water and the mud wasn't long also before I started digging holes deep enough or using his soil auger to pull up clay from which I made very very poorly constructed pieces of pottery they didn't dry in the sun um, so there was no lack of raw material there as I mentioned earlier though I had to use imagination quite a lot I also inherited, as well as the Lego, uh, quite a lot of farm animals and a few items that would go with dolls' houses. And although my imagination was a little tempered by the frustration of not having the money or the access or even the knowledge to materials that I needed to use those things, I enjoyed having them and planning infinite ways to use them in construction projects. So from quite a young age I recall having these ambitions to get hold of construction sets. Um, I was particularly taken with the Meccano metal nuts and bolts constructor systems of bygone times, especially the ones my father used to refer to. And I had the ambition to have a, a set zero zero which had everything including motors and other items i guess it was the precursor to technic lego but those things were all pipe dreams because i apart from my wooden blocks and my inherited lego and a large constructor set of blocks my father built me hidden in his workshop several weekends in a row i didn't really have access to that much in the way of construction so one of the first things I remember creating something from something totally different was a cutout in the Daily Telegraph newspaper that my dad used to get often. It was a flat drawing of a Land Rover 
uh, when you cut it out and pasted it to a piece of cardboard as long as you followed the instructions carefully you could produce quite a nice fairly large scale model of a Land Rover um, I didn't manage to color it in because the ink on the paper was very messy back in those days but I remember quite clearly the amazement at turning a two-dimensional thing into a three-dimensional sculpture essentially so we move on from that to the main obsession if you like my main concentration of model making which was model trains model railways um, the first item I ever obtained was a Thomas the Tank Engine clockwork set which was kind of fascinating because you didn't have to worry about any of the electrical connections working although it ran on normal model train track I recall being frustrated with the limitations of the Thomas set for sure I didn't like the fact the clockwork engine would run down at any particular point and it was very difficult to stop and start it realistically but it did give me an introduction to the joys of model railways and more importantly it fed my imagination for creating buildings and structures and little dioramas around a particular scale I began using and saving things like um, lolly sticks and all of the cereal packets I would actually eat through cereal much faster just to have access to the cardboard which I'd use to make buildings and line size structures I also developed a fascination with gardening things which represented shrubs and trees in that small scale I would often save moss and dry it in the hopes that it would remain together long enough to act as bushes and trees on my model layout but it never did unfortunately also I didn't have access to the right materials at that age I had lots of inspiration too um, whether my imagination or my ambition was stimulated is a debatable point we used to visit a very well-known local model shop which was uh, Beatty's they had uh, mostly bicycle stuff but at the back they had a huge range of models constructor kits and especially trains and not to mention the matchbox and other manufacturers of toy cars uh, one thing I remember from when I was very young was a visit to the Queensgate shopping center which was still quite young then and Beatty's I believe had sponsored a huge display in the middle of one of the islands there now this display had everything it had model cars running on ribbons which represented motorways it had planes taking off and landing albeit on sticks hanging from the ceiling and of course it had a huge range of model trains in different scales and I remember being extremely inspired it definitely planted a seed of imagination there I remember being so inspired by this that one day I might actually have or build a diorama just as inventive just as inspiring as that I also visited another place which inspired me 
on a more long-term basis, it was the Knockcuts Garden Centre near to the country park we used to visit a lot. They had a large garden railway outdoors, which was a very large scale, a 1 to 24th or garden scale. And I remember being absolutely fascinated with how they planted bonsai and other small plants to create this miniature world there. Not to mention the trains also had a lot more sound effects, which model, model makers have access to now, but back then were quite revolutionary. Things like the level crossing barriers raising and lowering, the sound effects, the steam locomotives with their, their smoke coming off. All of those things really inspired me, especially as we visited on a really nice summer day. And I couldn't imagine a more attractive scenario than sitting in my own garden, watching these, these trains make their circuits, just enjoying the being immersed in the whole experience. So that was um, mostly where my inspiration, my creative journey in model making got its origins. Um, during Later in my early years, I was given various pieces of model making equipment and also materials, especially um, construction kits for model planes and model cars. I was inspired to build model cars by a couple of large scale items my brothers started building and I finished those projects off, although I made a little bit of a pig's ear of them. Uh, my father also used to search the classified ads and was no stranger to buying second-hand items if they were well used. He obtained a very large Meccano constructor set with all the perforated metal strips, all the bolts, nuts, and a whole bunch of instructions that were from a completely different era. He made a beautiful box to store all the pieces in and made it into a presentation gift for one of my birthdays. I think I would have been around 10 or 11. So that, <clears throat> that Meccano was a very, a very large source of uh, entertainment for me, especially as I rarely followed the instructions when I was building. I remember one day building throughout almost the whole day. I hardly ate anything. And at the end of the day, I experienced a kind of nervous exhaustion I've only experienced a couple of other times in my life where I wanted to speak and I literally could not speak. My hands were unable to coordinate. And that was when I realized, I think, that using construction creativity was less of a pleasure to me than <clears throat> the creating from raw materials. Once we'd moved from Princess Street to Alexandra Road, which was the last house where I lived in Peterborough, there was a lot more opportunity to expand my model-making hobbies. Um, I had, for the first time in my life, at the age of 10 years old, I had a room to myself, and through doing a few part-time jobs and receiving a, an increased pocket money, I should say, 
I started to develop my modeling a lot more, especially on the side of railway modeling. I scratch built a lot of structures. In other words, I built them from completely raw materials. And that included dioramas of places I knew. It included fictitious fictitious buildings and real ones all mixed together. <clears throat> Some of them were built from kits. But I started creating my own little world. Um, mostly in my bedroom, through which my trains um, could run. Now during that time I also started to scratch building a lot of my trains. I would collect together a lot of materials sometimes with a clear idea, sometimes with absolutely no idea how I was going to use them. So it was at this, um, this stage that I developed what some of those close to me would mislabel as a hoarding addiction. I beg to differ on this for a couple of reasons, that um, hoarding is a definite mental illness that shouldn't be mocked, essentially. And also, a lot of people who hoard things don't have any clear thing in mind, any clear objective or reasoning why they're saving a particular item, maybe saving for a hard time ahead. But the difference with me was when I collected together materials, there was a double reason. Firstly, I nearly always had a project in mind. I would look at materials either in in a skip or that were being thrown away by a shop or even by a friend or just household items that were being thrown away and I would visualize that object would make a perfect XYZ. For example the cotton reels that my mother used up that had her thread on them I bisected them, I cut them into thin rims and they made perfect locomotive wheels for an entirely scratch-built display locomotive, steam locomotive that I built. I used lolly sticks and matchsticks and uh, toilet roll tubes. But the, uh, the cotton reels were something that she was prepared to recycle or throw away. And I know that uh, the family was particularly concerned that I was saving these things. But I never saved them without having at least one project in mind for every single item. That's why I, in looking at the psychology of model making, that's why I don't have any concern that it's an unhealthy obsession. I believe it's just a characteristic. And secondly, the um, perhaps a little bit closer to the hoarding mentality was the fact that for most of my childhood, I couldn't afford specific raw materials. Um, I had so many ambitions to buy, for example, modeling clay that was hardened in the air, um, balsa wood, and things made especially for model making, model building. I couldn't afford the expensive metal kits, and I probably didn't have the expertise to put them together. So I would save more cheap items or free items and 
stockpile them until I had all the components I needed to build whatever I had in mind. So the actual inspiration for this podcast that came together was in fact um, Graham George. And the reason for this was during my later years in the United Kingdom, I extended my obsession with trains, if you like, to an exponential degree. I got into a bug which I'd been bitten by many years before, that of modeling garden railways. Um, at Alexandra Road, which is the last place in Peterborough where I lived, I had an extensive garden railway. It was first built in double O gauge, which caused a lot of problems because even a small piece of grit or a snail trail on the track was enough to cause a derailment. Um, building structures in that scale that would survive even a hedgehog walking over them was quite difficult, let alone building structures strong enough to survive outside. But I'd been inspired by a large article in a model railway magazine some years previously that uh, garden railways in G scale, very large 1 to 24th or 1 18th scale, was very addictive and it was also something the whole family could enjoy for various reasons. It wasn't too rule bound, it wasn't too much subject to the same problems as fine scale modeling. So where Graham George comes into this was when he was reintroduced to the Exclusive Brethren or persuaded to become a follower once more, he needed some things to distract his mind, his very creative mind, from the pain and the addiction he was suffering with during previous years. And in that we had like a creative spark which he fed very quickly regarding garden railways. Um, it was mostly the potential of the scale that bit us and I took him on a visit to a garden railway specialist which deserves mention in a later episode. This garden railway specialist um, well and truly hooked us on getting into the G scale it was more expensive, but the potential was so great for scratch building, for building in a larger scale was much easier because so many more raw materials looked just like the original when used in a model. I want to resume this in another episode as I see the, the time is, is cracking on. Um, it deserves a lot more mention than I have time in one podcast. So I'm going to cut off the first podcast at that point and with a mention that Graham really was the one who planted the seed of um, enjoying large-scale modeling and enabled me to see it as something which was valuable. It was something worth celebrating and it was something worth carrying on. There are so many more things 
in the second part of my podcast that I still want to cover. Then I'm going to break it off now. Also, the emotional, the emotional recollections which come to mind when I recall Graham and his somewhat tragic part in my life. They merit more discussion in more depth. So I'm going to take the unusual step of cutting off this podcast um, slightly earlier than I have done habitually. I hope that those who are listening in will understand this. And I will resume as soon as possible in a second episode. In the next episode, I'm going to not only go into more detail about how I almost made a career out of model making along with Graham George, but I'm also going to dip a little bit into the psychology and the common perceptions around model making. I hope this podcast has been interesting and informative. If there's any comments regarding the subject matter or suggestions for future, please keep them coming. I always appreciate your feedback. And for those who have lasted this long, thank you very much. You're much appreciated. And any recommendations you make will be used to influence future casts. So this has been Daniel Mounter with An Englishman in Montreal. Thank you.